Welcome to the Commonweal Policy Podcast. With me, Jonathan Shaffey, the Campaigns Officer here at Commonweal. I'm delighted this week to be joined by Becky Menzies, the Comms Officer at the Think Tank. Becky, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. It's good to be here um, in my official capacity. Yeah, and uh, doing a lot of work, um, a lot of work uh, both uh, publicly but also behind the scenes where we're planning um, a lot of big campaigns um, and some quite exciting stuff which we can't talk too much about just now but which uh, you'll be seeing uh, very soon. Um, how are you managing throughout this uh, period of coming out of the lockdown and and uh, and just what lies ahead? Um, any kind of just initial um, thoughts about how things are going? Yeah, I guess it's um, it, it's going everything going back to sort of a normal busy pace is a, is a bit strange. Um, I guess the reason I kind of came on today was to talk about when I came home. Um, I work two jobs now, so I work two days in the city centre and I came home one day to leaflets. Um, so I live in a private flat, um, rented flat, and I came home to leaflets with um, from letting agents asking they needed to buy property with cash fast. Um, and it gave me a bit of a grim, a grim thought for the future and where things are going. Um, so that that's, wasn't a fun way to come home. So we're going to um, focus this podcast on uh, the question of housing and some of the issues that people face um, around around housing and shelter. Um, now, there's all kinds of issues that we can talk about here, but can you just start just by breaking down, you know, this leaflet that you found? What does that really mean? What does that really indicate about where things are going? Yeah, I guess so. There was two two different leaflets, both from letting agents. One was um, if you're um, need, we need properties, and the other one was we buy properties for cash. Um, and it just made me think. This is as been said. It's a seller's market. This is the ideal time to sell your home um, and make some money. And it just screams a lot of uncertainty and a lot of scary stuff for private renters such as myself who um, haven't really been offered much protection during the crisis. Um, and alongside those leaflets, I also seen cards for loan sharks. Um, so it's just given this sort of mix of <laughs> impending doom for people and the kind of sense of people are losing their income, they're going to be losing their homes, um, and there's going to be people profiting off of that, which I think is the kind of the most depressing part of that and the part that we really need to fix um, kind of urgently. Um, I think kind of things like for, for private tenants, we were given a ban on it, but it was called a ban on evictions. It was an extension to your notice to get evicted. Um, so we've already seen that people are already getting served eviction notices despite this so-called ban. Um, so it paints a very grim picture at the moment. So let's, um, before we get into some of the possible uh, solutions uh, that we could uh, think about here, let's um, just go back some weeks to the vote in the Scottish Parliament. Um, around uh, defending tenants and protecting tenants like this crisis, as you can refer to. Um, and Andy Whiteman had put forward a series of proposals um, that were rejected. Um, how did that make you feel? You know, the SNP often poses this, you know, great aggressive party, but there seems to have been a mismatch between their rhetoric and their actual policy um, in that particular instance. Um, do you want to just uh, maybe just give us an overview from your perspective about that and about, you know, what the consequences of that, that vote were in terms of how people view uh, the SNP and in particular 
uh, how it would impact tenants um, and their sort of tenants have been precarious, uh, particularly uh, now. I mean, precarious before COVID, but more precarious now. Yeah, totally. I think when I seen that book come through, I was raging. <laughs> I'll be totally honest. I just felt totally betrayed by kind of Scottish government in terms of the kind of talk they talk about protecting tenants. And there was still this kind of claim that we're doing everything we can to protect tenants and the sort of, um, we've asked landlords really nicely um, not to evict tenants and to offer them support. And I remember getting an email through from my letting agency when the kind of lockdown got a bit more um, serious and everything started to kind of, we realised um, there's going to be an impending crisis and the email was something along the lines of, hope you're well, if you're struggling, uh, we know you may struggle to pay rent, but remember you need to pay rent and here's things you can do to pay it, such as universal credit um, and other things like that. Um, so that gave me a sense of, okay, well, even if I, I am lucky enough to be in a job, although I might not have been, if I wasn't offered my job at Commonwealth when I was, um, I can get the sense of you're going to have to pay your rent, it doesn't really matter. And that's the kind of feeling I got from the Scottish government too. I think the, there's not really be any protections from tenants. And abandoning evictions just causes problems later down the line. And um, what are we going to do when everyone has rent arrears? And we've already seen that people are getting evicted anyway, um, regardless of that. So for the government to kind of claim to protect tenants, they're doing the opposite of that um, when they have the power to do so. And there was a recent uh, discussion of this in the Parliament um, uh, and there was, uh, I think, a number of press releases that I had seen from the Scottish Government who were talking about the fact that uh, tenants will now be protected from evictions. Uh, but even there, that's not quite accurate, is it? There are big loopholes and big uh, problems that tenants can still face when it comes to evictions. Yeah, totally. So I think it was last week that they announced there would be a, a, an extension to the ban on evictions, which at first glance, it looked like a great thing. I've seen Living Rent were celebrating it and um, they kind of put out stuff about that and Shelter and all these kind of charities were like, this is really great. It's a win for tenants. But as a couple of days went on and people looked into it, essentially it's just uh, an extension to your notice period to be evicted. So it just means you'll get served a six months notice. So that means people the courts are beginning to reopen. So there, there will still be evictions come winter because of the backlog of that. So it's not necessarily, it's not a ban. It's an extension to the notice period. So you've got more time, you know, kind of six months in advance, you're going to be evicted, um, which doesn't really do anything um, for people. So people, it doesn't matter how long you've lived in your home, you could be sent out of your home you lived in for four or five years with six months notice. It's, it's hardly something to, to jump for joy about. Um, and I think, I know in England, their, their eviction bans come to an end this, this month. So we'll see what happens there. And I think that'll be very telling for what's to come here. Um, Indeed, and you can just imagine uh, the middle of winter, um, the virus probably, um, unfortunately, uh, will be still with us. Um, we won't have a, a vaccine by that moment. Um, and many people are talking about a particular flare up of the virus during the winter months. Um, we're also looking at that coinciding with the potential of furlough um, having been ended. Um, we've seen that Germany has extended um, their furlough scheme yeah. for the foreseeable future, but that's not presently the, the situation in the UK. And you're being um, evicted from your home. I mean, this, <laughs> list, this just leaves people in a completely desperate situation. 
I don't know if you um, agree with this, but I think that the conversation around the hardship that people are facing but are going to face is rather underwhelming, especially when you look at what solutions are being presented. I mean, Commonweal have obviously done a huge amount of work in all of these areas to secure people and to give people um, everything that they need to, to live a dignified life and, and to come out of this crisis, in fact, with a stronger society and a fairer um, economy. Uh, and so let's shift gears to that a bit. I mean, what sort of things do you think that the Scottish government could be doing to shore people up when it comes to housing? And I suppose an added question onto that is, how do you see these issues intertwining with issues like unemployment and loss of earnings at the same time as uh, facing uh, these problems with housing? Yeah, totally. So I think I think what you're right, it is underwhelming the kind of conversation that's happening in kind of politics and in the media about actually the scale of what's about to happen. Um, especially if furlough does end, like we've said, it's going to end in October or it will be massively reduced and likely people are just forced onto universal credit, which in itself has masses and masses of issues. Um, and I think immediately what the Scottish Government can do, there was obviously the Fair Rents Bill that was... Um, Polly McNeil, um, Labour MSP, her bill was, it was like a year in the making and it had government law centres, shelter, kind of everyone involved in that and that would introduce a rent, rent controls and a rent cap. I think that immediately or a rent freeze is what the Scottish Government should be doing to ensure people don't have to, aren't losing more of their income which is going to be reduced to their rent. Um, I know myself as a young person who rents, half of my income goes to my flat. And that's <laughs> it's a disgusting amount of money over the years of privately rented. I don't even like to think about it. Um, and I think in terms of tying this into the wider kind of unemployment crisis, a lot the majority of people that privately rent are younger people, and they're more typically in precarious work. Um, they're in hospitality, in the events industry, um, which and the retail industry, which are all going to be massively. Some of the places haven't even opened. I still have friends on furlough, uh, friends who have been sacked. They're the places aren't reopening, so I think there's there's a massive crisis kind of looming. And if there aren't serious protections for tenants put in place, not just a ban on evictions, because that means that we'll still get evicted at some point, just not yet, then it's it's going to be a very scary winter. Um, I don't so, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, so much of uh, what you've just outlined there, it just underlines what seems to be a feature of our society and of our economy, um, even before the virus, which is the idea that you can actually plan your life is kind of out the window. I mean, how can you plan your life if you're on a short-term contract or a temporary contract at work, or a zero-hours zero one for that matter? How can you plan your life if you feel that you're going to be evicted from your home in a matter of months, or that the rent is going to become unaffordable because you've lost your job. People can't plan their ability to live. They can't plan their, uh, their lives in ways that can be offering them dignity and enjoyment. And we've ended up with a huge mental health crisis, a huge social crisis as a result of many of these things. And of course, these are complex issues in themselves, but, but they overlap, don't they? I mean, uh, what's your take on how these things uh, overlap? I mean, housing is not just about being kept from the elements uh, and being able to uh, live in a, a warm environment during the winter, though even that is 
difficult pre-COVID with the levels of fuel, fuel poverty in Scotland. But how yeah. important is it for people to have secure accommodation? I think it's of the utmost importance and I'm very much in favour of housing as a human right. I think if you, your home, I've moved, I moved to Glasgow when I was 18 and I've since moved almost every single year due to being a student and then having to move into different properties and I've experienced a lot of crap properties and um, letting agents that don't really care, um, substandard accommodation for a very high price and I think that brings with it like kind of serious mental health implications knowing that I know when I move into a property that I'm not likely to live there for more than a year and um, you know you're not able to make it your own and I think actually experiencing lockdown in a private flat a rented flat you know you aren't able to kind of make it your own you're kind of in this place that you're paying for but it's never really your own home so you don't have that sense of belonging I think that's one of the most kind of serious things and I can only imagine what that's like if you're in a rented accommodation with, with kids and you want to make a family home and if you lose your income and then you're told you have to leave or if your landlord wants to sell up to make some profit or sell up because they can no longer afford to keep the flat it's it's not a nice way to live it's very precarious and there's no stability and um, I would much prefer to be renting from a housing association or council flat if I could I just they're obviously they're hard to come by and they are quite rightly prioritised for people who need it the most but that was never the way they should have been. Uh, absolutely uh, you know we need to see a huge expansion of that kind of housing it needs to be affordable built to high quality built um, in a way that will be protective of the environment and that can provide that sense of community uh, to re-emerge because the other thing that I think is really impacting uh, how people can develop that sense of solidarity within a community setting is that because people are so often changing where they live, so often feeling that they don't have real roots in a place that they can bed down and that they can develop, then that also has a social consequence as well as an economic one. Um, so there's lots of issues uh, that this will relapse with and I think that really housing gets to the problem of neoliberal capitalism because housing hasn't been developed in a way uh, that would secure uh, people's shelter and all the things that, that, that you've outlined so far in this podcast. It's built for profit. It's built purely so that people can make money, so that landlords can um, take as much as they can from their tenants. I mean, let's even just look for a second at the furlough um, uh, campaign. Uh, now, on the one hand, this has been something that has kept uh, people afloat. But lots of that money is just going straight into the pockets of landlords. And so you find that those who have already got a, a very significant amount of wealth in the society are being reinforced. And those who have had nothing uh, and who have been in precarious economic conditions prior to the virus hitting are now being most negatively uh, impacted um, now. That's something that we want to change. Uh, that's something which Commonweal um, is passionate uh, about changing and we have the, the policy to do it. We have great policy on housing, we have um, a fully costed plan to ensure that everyone in Scotland who needs a house will have one to a high standard that is affordable as well. And here I want to just segue into another um, issue that's related to it. We have potentially a huge, well not just potential, we are facing now unemployment on a scale unimaginable uh, as well as a housing crisis. And we are going to need to build infrastructure in this country in order to sustain people's 
lives. Do you see, uh, Becky, do you see, um, uh, again, uh, a link between these two questions? That couldn't we employ people in high-skilled, high-paid jobs to produce and to build the infrastructure that we require as a society, including housing? That would help both the housing market and people who require um, long-term and stable housing, but also um, help to address the question of unemployment at the same time. Yeah, totally. I think that's the conversation we've been having within the team that we're, we're about to have a mass unemployment crisis. And there's also, we rely too much on the service sector and our industry was completely stripped. But actually what we really need is for this kind of green revolution in Scotland and to create manufacturing jobs and high-skilled jobs that people can be really proud of and that are secure and that also have a social impact of building houses for public rental that people are proud of and people can afford and that are secure. And I think, yeah, for us not to be creating those jobs and the houses at the same time is ridiculous um, at the moment, both for the future kind of protecting our environment, but for building homes that people need. We, we know there's a housing shortage in Scotland. Um, and I think as well, building those kind of affordable public rental houses that kind of takes away that house. And I remember when I was younger, I used to be a bit embarrassed. I'm over that now, but there's that stigma of growing up in a council house that people are like, oh, you don't own your own home. And that's something that needs to be flipped because <laughs> there should be no shame in renting a house from the council when actually it's a lot more socially just and better for the economy. There's so much money tied up in property that does nothing for the majority of people. Absolutely. And uh, of course, the, the, the sell-off of, of council houses under Thatcher uh, is really the root of the modern housing crisis that, that people face. And we need to completely reverse that trend. Uh, and we need to do so very quickly uh, indeed. Um, one of the things, just kind of coming towards the end here, one of the things that I was really struck with um, when Andy Whiteman was putting forward his proposals in the Scottish Parliament was that he was at pains to say that the kinds of proposals that he was presenting were mainstream and completely normal in huge parts of Europe. And so why couldn't Scotland uh, be in a position to offer the same uh, to people who, who live here? Um, and I just wondered, is there anywhere that you can see where they're doing housing well, or at least they are doing housing better uh, than in Scotland uh, and than in uh, the United Kingdom? Um, can you um, think of any uh, places or, or countries that you've seen who have taken different, a different approach uh, to housing or have maybe got some ideas that, that you think we should be following? Um, I did see in Spain, I don't know totally um, off the top of my head, but I, I knew in Spain um, they were kind of, they told landlords that landlords with more than 10 properties, they had to reduce their rents by as much as 50% during the state of emergency and up to four months after that ended. Um, and they also put an alternative was to agree a rent repayment plan that could be paid up to three years after the crisis. And I think things like that um, are things that would help tenants because realistically with a a so-called ban on evictions till March, what we're then going to see is a crisis in rent arrears and people being able to afford to repay that. And um, if that doesn't happen, then who knows what's actually, what the situation will be for private renters. Um, it's really shown that the private sector is so precarious and it is for profit. Um, and I think there's been more done to protect landlords. Um, during this crisis, I've seen there's a private sector resilience group has been set up, but there's no tenant representation um, 
their shelter are on it and um, citizen advice, but they aren't run by tenants for tenants. Um, so it's interesting to see, even with a group set up, they're not representing tenants. So that would be a start, <laughs> is to include tenants in the process. Um, well, I think that's been a really good, uh, a really good overview and outline of lots of the issues, the interconnected issues as well, uh, when it comes to housing. And I thought just to, to end uh, this podcast, I was thinking that it'd be good if we could just have a little chat about some of the um, some of the stuff that, that Commonwealth's planning. And you've been very involved in uh, working to develop the volunteer space that we are developing uh, here at Commonwealth as part of our campaign. Uh, I believe we've now got over a thousand people that have uh, signed up. That's, you know, they filled the form out and, and passed on their details so that we can get in touch with them. And we want to build a really big campaign right across Scotland involving thousands of volunteers um, so that we can push forward the kind of ideas that we've talked about in this podcast and in all the other ones as well, um, uh, outlined in Resilient uh, Scotland. Uh, or should I say detailed in Resilient Scotland because it is very detailed uh, and costed uh, as well. Um, just your take on that, Becky, just sort of looking forward uh, in relation to Commonweal. An exciting time, an urgent one as well. Uh, I wondered if, um, yeah, just give people a flavour of, of some of the work that we are trying to do with volunteers and some of the stuff that we are that we're working on um, as we as we move forward. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was so. I think at the start when we launched our Everything Must Change sort of campaign, we got a mass of people signing up um, to volunteer and to be involved. And I think that just shows the kind of appetite for change and for an alternative to what's going on. And I think in Scotland we are lacking that at the moment. Um, so with the volunteers. Um, we're, we're, we're setting up working groups and um, for people who are interested in campaigns and communications and how we communicate Commonwealth's message to the masses um, in a more kind of accessible and dynamic way. Um, so that's something that we're setting up. So if people want to sign up to volunteer, they can do so via the website. And we're planning to set up kind of initial meetings with those groups um, really soon. And I think it's an exciting time for Commonwealth because we usually had our volunteers based on localities and now with everything being remote and online, we can have national groups set up for people meeting all across the country and have a really different messages because we know sometimes we're central built focused um, and that you know Scotland's a very diverse place. So it's exciting to see people meet up across Scotland online um, to do that. And we're also going to be creating packs for activists and um, how to write to your MSP and lobby them for the kind of changes Commonwealth are proposing. Um, and we're going to be holding more online events as we go forward. So there's a lot going on um, and we always need people to help out. So if people want to get involved, um, they can do so via the website. We'll pop links up obviously as well. But it's a really exciting time and I think yeah, the sense of urgency that something does, we do need an alternative and the way things are going with the Scottish Government, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So now is the time to invest your energy in Commonweal um, and get yourself involved. Well, I think that's uh, an absolutely uh, appropriate way to, to end the podcast. Um, there's going to be lots coming up. We will link to the uh, page through which you can volunteer. Uh, and Becky and the team and myself it will be in touch with you. We really want to build this, as I say, right across the country involving thousands of people. And uh, we look forward uh, to doing so. I think this uh, discussion has really just underlined the urgency of the situation and the magnitude of the problems that are going to face hundreds of thousands of people right across the country uh, as we move forward into a very difficult um, economic period. And let's be honest, we only came from one pre-COVID 
uh, in any event, uh, and this is just a con continuation of the economic and social problems and intensification of them um, as a result of the virus. With that, we will be back next week. Enjoy your week and do get in touch with us and volunteer, and we'll be in touch with you as soon as we can. Thank you.